always remind you about your hair when I see you because <laughs> it literally is like Ken Dodd just got dragged through a hedge again. <laughs> but thank you for the hair, it's brilliant. Um, now, we're going to talk about Ocean at the End of the Lane. I want to talk about lots of things, but I've been told I can't. Um, when did you start writing this story? I started writing Ocean at the End of the Lane very early in 2012. Oh. My, my wife, Amanda, had gone off to Australia to make an album, and um, I missed her. And I went off to Florida, I borrowed a house from a friend, and I was meant to be writing a script and maybe doing another couple of projects, and instead I found myself missing Amanda, and I thought, and, and because she was making an album, she wasn't really very much there. You know, it was a kind of thing where I'd be sending her emails going, hello, this is my day, and she'd write back and say, great. <laughs> and, and I'd phone up and I'd say, I miss you, and she'd be saying, I'm in Australia making an album, bye. And <laughs> so I thought, I've got to do something that will, you know, kind of get her attention. Does she read everything? Uh, well, n no, she'll read, she'll read things if she likes them. She's picky. Um, she will occasionally grumble about things of mine, and I'll say, I didn't know you read that, and she'll be like, well, you know, not to the end. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure you should be saying this about your wife on stage. So I thought, so I thought I'll, I'll write her a short story that she'll like. Ah, good, a challenge. And that was, and I thought, what does she like? Well, she likes me, and, and I was sort of a bit grumpy because um, earlier in, in 2011, I'd tried to take her to a few of the places from my childhood and failed because they weren't there anymore. And they weren't there anymore to the point where you could sort of go, well, you see this housing estate? This used to be a house over there and some fields down here, and these were the fields with the bulrushes where I used to read, and it's you have to use your imagination. So I thought, I'll write her a short story, and it'll be a short story that will be, it'll have me in it, and it'll have emotions in it, because she likes emotions, and it'll have a lot of the scenery of my childhood. Hang it'll on be, a minute. Yeah. Was this story, because I know you, was this something that was <coughs> brewing anyway, or was it triggered by this by this stuff, because oh, okay, it was. It had started brewing. You can point to about five different places where it started brewing. It started brewing when I was about nine years old, mm. and my mother told me that Boyley's Farm, down our lane, was in the Doomsday Book. Um, and actually, I've discovered. I did a little bit of research and discovered actually it's, it was 14th century, so it wasn't in the Doomsday Book. But even but having at the time, I went, oh. It, it's a thousand years old. And I started thinking, what would happen if the people who lived there had been living there for a thousand years? Mm. So that idea had, the idea of incredibly old people in, in the farm, just living as farm people, mm. had been in my head forever. Um, then about 1994, No, it must have been a bit later, because it was after I got a mini. Um, <laughs> After you got a Mini? After I got a Mini. I bought a Mini early in the 2000s when they started doing the new Minis. Mm. 
And my father uh, was out, and he visited back when he was still alive, and he visited us in a little Wisconsin house I was in. Um, and I remember just talking about how much I loved the Mini, and the weirdest thing about having a Mini as an adult is they'd sort of scaled it up. So, but it was still the same size relative to you as an adult human being as the little Minis had been when you were a kid. So it actually didn't feel like the Minis had got enormously bigger, even though they had. But they were bigger. They were bigger. Yeah. And, I, and I happen to say, in that sort of way that you, you, know, you say things, not even imagining there's an answer or a story, I said to my dad, um, you know, I used to love that white Mini that you had. And I remember one day we came home from school and the Mini had gone. And instead, you had this ancient Jaguar with, with old red leather seats that smelled like other people's cigars that you just picked up, you traded the car in for. And I never understood why you'd got rid of the Mini. And he said, ah. I never told you that. And I said, no, you, you never did. He said, hmm, well, um, in, back in 1967, he said, we had a lodger who came from South Africa, and he brought his, you couldn't take money out of South Africa back then, but his friends had all given him a lot of money to bring to the UK and bank for them. Uh, so he had. And one night, he'd gone down to Brighton, and he started gambling at the casino in Brighton. And he kept gambling and the casino in Brighton, and then he thought he'd just sort of dip into their money to fix things. The way you do. The way you do. And seven! Then Come on, seven! <laughs> he was that guy. He was that guy. And then there wasn't any money, and he came back to the house. He took the keys to the mini from the table. Uh, took a garden hose, drove down to the end of the lane, and Dad said at 5 o'clock in the morning there was a knock on the door. He'd been spotted by a, a milk van, a, you know, a, a lorry picking up the milk, and uh, I had to go down in my dressing gown and identify the body. Oh, my God, that's in the book. So, that, so being, being an author... <laughs> you put that in the book? Yeah. So but that's real? Yeah. So being an author, as I am, I, instead of, you know, really doing what I should have done... Is this going to be in a book? <laughs> you will be in all the books, Lenny. Um, in, instead, of, instead of going that poor man, hmm. which I should have done, instead of going, what an awful thing, what was it like at five o'clock in the morning having to go and identify somebody, all I found myself doing was thinking, you mean something interesting happened when I was seven and nobody told me. <laughs> you and put it in a book. And I thought, and I kept thinking about that. And I thought, I, what would have happened if I'd known? What would have, and, and I thought, that is a thing. It was like one of those little bit, bits of grit that enters the oyster. Mm. And you start putting these little nacreous pearl layers around it. I, I rang you after I read the book. Do you remember? And I said, this is you, isn't it? What did I say? You said, <laughs> you did that noise on the phone, and I went, yeah, it's him. But it's, it's kind of you, isn't it? It, it is. It's, did you talk about? Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a bit weird because the boy is definitely me, age seven. There's nothing 
that he thinks, there's nothing that he is, there's none of his opinions or anything about books or anything that weren't mine. Um, I, and the house that he's in and the location that he is in is absolutely, with a, with a few tiniest changes, it's absolutely where it's the house that we lived in. Um, the farm, I've swapped the location of two farms down the lane. There was Boyley's farm and Buss's farm, mm -hmm. and I've moved Boyley's farm down to the end of the 14th century one, down to the end of the lane. Um, and I stole the duck pond from a little weird abandoned gatehouse over the road from us that has long since been concreted over. I moved a few things around, but it's absolutely where I grew up and it's what I feel like, and it was me. But the parents weren't my parents. Um, I have two sisters. Neither of them is the sister in the book. Um, was there anything you had to leave out? Because um, it's quite a broad it I don't, I palette don't, of colours well, you're using. The way that it got written was so peculiar and organic. I, I was saying earlier on, I set out to write a short story. Mm -hmm. That was the idea. I would send a short story to Melbourne, to Amanda, and then I would have her attention. Um, <laughs> so that was the theory. And instead, what would happen is I would write that day's writing, mm. and I'd normally know what I was going to need to write the next day. But I couldn't see much further than that, but I was always vaguely convinced I was near the end. Um, and that went on for day after day and week after week, and somewhere in there I, f I sent an email to my publishers saying, I appear to be writing a novella I'm really sorry, because I know how hard novellas are. <laughs> uh, you know, it was like... It, it What's the difference between a novel and a novella? What's the... Length, yeah. words, number of words. Uh, it, it goes short story, novelette, novella, novel. And I started to write a short story. At some point in there, I was like, well, I'm writing a novelette. And then it was like, no, I'm writing a novella. And then when I finished it, and I actually finished it after Amanda got back from... <laughs> Australia in April, and she was mixing her album, and I was in, in Dallas, and I was typing it all in, and I finished typing it in, and I did a word count, and wrote a very surprised email back to all my publishers saying, I appear to have written a novel <laughs> um, that none of you were expecting, and I'm really sorry. Did Amanda, what was Amanda's reaction when she read it? Um, she loved it, but I, I actually, I don't think I would be telling tales out of school to say I think her most primal response to it was actually um, seeing it on stage yeah. a week ago. We went to the, the press night last Wednesday, and, um, I'm, and I'd already, you know, I'd seen it run through once. Um, I'd been at various readings, I'd given notes and, and so on and so forth. So I knew that it was not unknown for me to get to the very end and find myself having to discreetly flick a tear, tear away, which is something I'd read about in books but never had to do. But if you, if you do, it's crying. just the sort of thing where you just go like that. Yeah, yeah I didn't, that didn't happen. You didn't see that. Um, but Amanda was just like from halfway through the first act, she's just sobbing oh. and just holding on to because me. Because it, you're, you're talking about 
even though you go into the realm of fantasy and witches and stuff, this is raw human emotion. Uh, we're dealing with very, very sensitive stuff here. This is a little kid who's in danger. It and is. I really felt for that kid. I, I love um, the fact that it actually you do absolutely feel for him. I remember when the book was published, listening to um, one of those Radio 4 programs, and this one they had a, a male moderator and three women novelists and poets discussing you know, three books they'd all been given to read, and one of them was Ocean at the End of the Lane. And the, the moderator had been completely baffled by it. He was like, well, it's a, a book about, uh, you know, sort of magic and things. I'm not really sure why, why we were given this to, to read. And all of the women started talking about memory and the imagination and the way you process memory. Right. And he was just baffled. He was like, but, this, but it's got witches in it. And it's like, well... <laughs> he didn't get it. He really didn't get it, and they really did, which made it a sort of very glorious kind of conversation. Now, um, Joel Harwood has written this adaptation. Um, how hands-on... I know you just, just can to, be hands-on. Just, just, just to throw this in here as a small footnote, two things. It's really weird that you said Harwood, because Joel's name is Harwood, but the house that we were on, it was on Harwood Lane. Ah, and somebody's made a mistake. I love the not fact me. that the, I love that the, the uh, not, not you at all. I love that the, the conflation of playwright and location has happened. Joel Horwood. Joel, Joel Horwood. Nice. Okay, so um, this dude wrote the adaptation. <laughs> How hands-on were you? Because I know you to be quite hands-on when you want to be. How many drafts did you read? What was the process like? So the initial process was... I met Katie Rudd, the director, and Joel Horwood in 2016, um, and they said they wanted to do it, and I liked them. And that was, it was just that thing of responding to the people and responding to the things they said, and liking them and trusting them and saying, okay, well, go ahead. And initially they did a workshop and the workshop had lots of the sort of the puppetry stuff that happens. They were looking at ways of doing things. Um, and it also had a lot of sort of semi-improvised dialogue and things based on the book and actors workshopping it. And I just remember coming out of that and talking to them and saying, well, the puppetry stuff is amazing, but you need a script now. Right. None of that stuff that people were saying resembles was, was what they're going to be saying. But, but this is process. Yeah. And then... I guess they were just saying, let's put it out there and see what yeah, happens. Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's the great thing about The National is you get to do those, the workshop. You get to find out... What works and what doesn't. Yeah, and, and you get to play. And so they did. And then, a little bit after that, I remember getting a call and having to talk to my agent because The National wanted to do another book of mine. And they wanted to do the other book of mine, and they wanted it to be a here in the Olivier and a giant show and a you know really big commercial smash. And those are good if you can do them. Well, it, it was it was mostly the fact that I thought we can only do one at the National, and the other one will be done commercially one day by somebody. And 
this is what we need subsidized theater for. This is what, you know, ocean is small and delicate and it needs work and love mm. and tenderness. And I think they can pull it off. So I went, okay, we, we're going with Joel and Katie and Ocean, and the other one we're pulling. They don't get that one. And when did it start to feel like it was coming together? Um, it just became, it, it was like a photograph developing. Um, oh, that was an analogy that means nothing to anybody here under you the age like of 40. You mean on your phone, like, when you take a picture? <laughs> you mean like when you take a picture on your phone, it's just there immediately? <laughs> that kind of development... What uh, do you mean old-time development? I mean old-time development where you start, out with, you start out with a blank thing and then more and more detail comes through. We don't have that anymore. I know. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, you know, I'd go to a reading and it would be good and I would have notes and, uh, you know, but, and the next time and I'd come back six months later and there would be another one and I would have fewer, fewer notes but more specific. Uh -huh. um, and... You know, and they needed, we all knew to begin with, if you're putting a novel on a stage, you're going to have to leave things out. And it's okay to leave things out. What were the big things that, well, do uh, you want to go la 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 now? Um, were there major things that were excluded or was it just actually, tiny things? No, I'm, I mean, I don't think of a lot of things that are excluded as major because I think what Joel and, and Katie did brilliantly was go for the heart. Mm -hmm. Um, <coughs> my biggest concern was probably mm -hmm. that um, in, in the theatre one, uh, the boy's mum has died, mostly for reasons of compactness and storytelling, um, and also because it becomes much more about grief and loss all the way through. Uh -huh. And I think that was... <coughs> I think that was um, probably the biggest thing at the, toward the final read that I had to think about, you know. And I remember going backwards and forwards on that with them and saying, okay, you need to do this right because if it tips one way or the other, it becomes like a shoe that drops and then the other one never does. Yeah. And, Difficult when it's, um, a, when it's a major story beat. I mean, that's, that changes it a little bit. It does. It? Um, but actually, I think. Honestly, it's all for the best. Everything that they've done, um, it's so weird, because normally when I see adaptations of mine, even ones that I, I like or love, um, when people are like, well, what, what did you think of it? You know, how was it? My voice goes a bit high, and I go, well, no, it was really... Uh, <laughs> It was really good. They're, they're but yeah, and whereas with this, it's just like you know, on, on I like it. Well, I, I was on I was on the uh, the Today Show um, last week, the morning of the election, where they couldn't put anything political on, so they had me reading a poem instead. And at that the helped. End, I, <laughs> I did my best. Um, Thank you for trying. And um, the and and at the end, they said, "Oh, and you've got a." a Play on at the National. I said, yeah, it's Ocean at the End of the Lane. I said, it is absolutely astonishing. They said, well, we'll be the judge of that. And I thought... <laughs> <laughs> Are you... You've written so many amazing things. Uh, he's written a lot of amazing things. You've written so many amazing things. Are you at all precious when you get into the 
the guts of adaptation because th there's a lot to play with here and there's a feeling oh, I was with you yesterday there's a feeling of you can change this you keep the spine of this what's your boundaries with regard to adaptations I think with live theatre in particular I tend to be kinder than I would be and more forgiving otherwise because I think that theatre is so incredibly Darwinian. Um, it's like, if it's bad, it's gone. And then you just quietly say, yeah, I think probably we won't ever give them permission to do that particular production ever again. And, <laughs> and it just goes away. Um, so you're very good at seeing the things that work and the things that don't work. I'm, you know, I think what's really interesting for me probably most interesting about Ocean was feeling that what Joel Katie and their amazing, I mean, and it's not just them, I, I, you know, it's, the, it's everybody, including the puppet designers and the puppeteers and the, the, the amazing sets and the, and the acting is glorious and all of that kind of stuff. Um, what I love best is when I stop feeling like the creator and start feeling like part of the audience. Uh -huh when that little part of me that's criticizing, taking notes or whatever, just shuts off and I'm just sitting there enjoying it, wondering what's gonna happen next, even though on some level I know. That's good, isn't it? When, when, the, the, when you become a customer, when, you, when you're, you start to enjoy it and forget that it's you. I remember back when you and I were making Neverwhere all those years ago, uh, you used to tease me for laughing at, at your own jokes. At my own jokes. Because when, 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 I would have written In the a middle joke. of a take. <laughs> I did actually spoil some takes by yeah. laughing. And action is a... <laughs> I love this joke. Um, it's true. And, but it, it is that lovely thing where, on the one hand, you wrote the line, and on the other hand, now Howell Bennett and Clive Russell are saying it. Mm. And it's, it's glorious. I like all that stuff. I, is it? Anything you want specifically, the readers of the book and the, well, clearly they're different things, the play and the book are different, but when you put work out there, what do you want them to take away from this production and from the book? I think, for me, I, I, when I wrote Ocean, I wasn't sure how anybody was going to react to it, because I thought it is so personal. Mm. Um, it's a book which, you know, normally when I write a book, my intended audience is me in an alternate universe in which I've never read that book. Occasionally it's me, age seven, in an alternate universe in which I've never read that book, but it, that's my audience. And this one, it was Amanda. Um, so as long as she liked it, mm. I, I, my book was done. Um, what I didn't expect was a very specific thing that started happening, which was people would come up to me having read Ocean and they'd say, you wrote my life. And that was me as a kid. Nothing in there happened to me, but that was me. And the first couple of times it happened, I thought, this is an odd thing to happen. And the, you know, by time 50, by time 100, it was just like, okay, this is, there, is a, there are a certain tribe of us, slightly booky people. Mm. Um, people who, I remember when my daughter Maddie, turned nine or 10, 
and she was at that point my third child. And I realized that she was the third of three of my children not to alphabetize their bookshelves. <laughs> then maybe it was me. <laughs> as far as I was concerned, when I was, by the time I was seven, you know, I would agonize over, you know, Richard Glyn Jones. Is he G's or J's? And yeah. you, you, that was you. That was me, and I was the one with my copy of Tales of Ancient Egypt. You know, Roger Lanceling Green, is he an L or a G? I don't know. You take books to school. You know that day at school where you were allowed to take toys or comics or books to school? Were you that kid? Did you always take a book to school and just sit in the corner on that day? I did. And not play with anybody else? And I was genuinely the first kid. Um, there's, there's a line in uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane about being the... Uh, the cake shop doing the birthday said this was the first time they'd had to put a book on a cake. <laughs> Up to, you know, they normally did, did um, footballers or, or you know, astronauts. Yeah. And you I, had was there for, I was the first book. Was it a specific book or just, just a I book? I think it was just a book. Wow. Um, that's, that's very geeky indeed. Yep. I love you for it now because I was, had a very similar experience at school. With, with books, and it, it was always a box of comics or a box of books and just me sitting there while people played with Johnny Sevens and Hot Wheels and Dinky Toys. Um, but I don't want to start crying, so I'm going to ask you another question. Um, <laughs> is there a particular childhood memory that you focused on while you were writing this, or was there a palette of memories that you kept looking at and thinking, oh, I'm going to press that button now? I think what was really weird about writing it was while I was writing it, um, things that I hadn't thought about in years and years and years started coming back into focus. Yeah. And stuff that I'd you know, absolutely and utterly forgotten because I'd had no reason to think of it. Suddenly I'm phoning my mum and saying, okay, let me just make sure that I've, I'm remembering this right. So you had you'd go out the back door and then there were three little weird outhouses and there was one that smelled like coal and then there was an outside toilet and then there was one with a, with a washing machine in it and then, and it was all sort of bricks but they'd get mossy and slippery and then there were some lilies of the valleys that grew alongside that and then behind that was the black currant bushes and you're sort of going, and it's all this stuff of, of a place that hasn't existed since 1970 or 1971. You're just, you're just checking up on the detail. But 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 if you'd asked me to if you'd asked me to draw a map um, of the house the week before I started writing the book, I probably wouldn't have remembered any of that. But it really was this kind of thing of okay, I'm, I'm I was so into the the location, so remembering every detail of, of the place. And that was, for me, the strangest thing. The back cover of Ocean uh, used to have a photograph, some editions have it, some editions don't, of um, me on the uh, drainpipe, climbing down the drainpipe on the back of the house. And that really happened? That really happened. My si I used to climb up and down the drainpipe. My sister Lizzie found this photo for me and she sent it to me. And the photo is incredibly cunningly cropped, so you can't see the kid's face. Um, not 
because, um, you know, it, it, not for the artistic reasons that you would imagine, just because the grin on my face was so huge that the, all of the kind of atmosphere of the book of, you know, childhood peril and weirdness yeah. and stuff Needed would have been be sad. It would have been, you know, just destroyed by this sort of, I'm on the train pipe. <laughs> Uh, what but, was the you know, what? kids in... What, kids Why were you climbing up and down the drain pipe? Because kids in books went up and down drain pipes, and I read that in books, and I was like, okay, so we have a drain pipe. And fortunately, it was not a plastic drain pipe that would have come away from the house and killed me. It was an old-fashioned Victorian oh, proper drain pipe. Um, and, you know, we, we, it, was, it was a very strange house that we were in, a strange garden, um, because it was half of an old Victor uh, Edwardian manor house. Uh -huh. And the people next door had all the nice, they had the posh half, and we had the servants' quarters. Um, but you weren't servants for them? We were not servants for oh, them. In you. fact, the doors had been bricked up um, that would have joined the houses, uh, which actually started another book, Coraline. Ah. began with the fact that there was we got one nice room, so we had the servants' quarters, but we had, the draw we had a drawing room, um, which was wood-panelled and stuff, because it was at the front of the house, um, and it had the door through which the servants would have entered, which was ours, and then the door at the other end, where the family would have entered, mm. and you opened it, and it was a brick wall, and that used to fascinate me. I used to creep up on it. Because you I creep was up on the wall. On the door, yeah. Because <laughs> I was completely sure that if I just open it right and open it fast enough, it wouldn't be a brick wall. It would, it would lead somewhere. Wow. And so that was the starting point, you know, two, three decades later of Coraline. It's fantastic. Please go see it. Please buy the book if you haven't done it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Neil Gaiman. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank you everybody. Thank you so much. Lenny Henry. Okay.